the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. Chad Burton standing in for Rob Black. If you want to get your calls in there, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Or even better, shoot me an email. If you've got a question for the show, it's chad at chadburton.com. It's chad at chadburton.com. Let's talk about the markets a little bit. Um, a lot of interesting news today. Obviously, uh, Walmart is a big one. Weighing in on the markets, seeing futures down slightly, looking like a open of around a half a percent or so on the downside. Today's um, Walmart basically said, "Hey, we're going to have lower earnings than what Wall Street expects. Expectations prior to Walmart reporting five dollars and thirteen cents a share, and they came out with a range of four dollars and seventy-five cents a share to five bucks a share on earnings." Why? Well, higher wages is one of them, right? Same-store sales were pretty decent. 2.6% increase in same-store sales. There's a lot of talk about how groceries were are going to affect going forward. Maybe that Amazon purchase of Whole Foods is starting to be felt a little bit by Walmart. So that's been a huge run in that stock, though. And so you're going to have a little bit of a breather, a little bit of higher wages as a result of lower taxes. We'll see how it plays out going forward. Qualcomm in an effort to fend off a hostile bid from Broadcom, raised their offer for NXP semiconductors. So that's in the news today. Dollars finally rising with Treasury yields. We had the 10-year Treasury touch 2.93%, and then uh, oil being above 62 bucks a barrel. And you know we don't want the dollar to increase too much. But it's kind of inevitable, right? And that's, that's the thing why I don't think rates will get way too high. Even if the Federal Reserve raises rates three times this year, that's the short-term lending rate between banks. It does affect prime, and hopefully it will affect your CDs if you're retired and you have CDs to get you a little bit more income. But if interest rates on the longer-term bonds especially get too high, you get that currency flow into U.S. dollars, pushing the U.S. dollar up, and then where do they park that money? Well, they turn around and they park it in U.S. treasuries. So, a lot of that foreign money will come in, buy bonds, because they want to sit 
and what's considered the world's safest bonds. And so when you push more money into those bonds, it pushes the prices up and the yields back down. So there's a lot of talk about potential inflation issues out there. And we kind of hear the same story over and over again. At the beginning of a year, you either hear this deflation theme or an inflation theme. And lately, it's been coming in tame on both ends of that argument. And you hear about this idea that if interest rates go up too high on bonds, especially the 10-year treasury, then it creates competition for stocks. When you have a ton of baby boomers out there going into retirement, they're like, oh, that bond, 10-year treasury, 3.5%. That looks pretty attractive. That means I can get corporate bonds probably closer to 5 uh, So maybe I'll peel off some of my money out of stocks and put it over in bonds. And that's that. That's that. Once that acceleration over three and a half percent, that's when you will see some of that happening for sure. Some of that rebalancing. Um, again, with that said, though, we do have that growing millennial population that is beginning to invest, but just not the amount of dollars that the baby boom population has. One good news: anybody with small kids like me. This flu thing has been pretty scary, um, and it looks like the number of doctor visits for flu-like symptoms looks like it plateaued. So hopefully, we're seeing the the downslope now of this this year's flu epidemic. It's been a rough year, and it's scary, especially if people have kids in daycare and stuff like that. It's not fun to deal with. Um, Albertsons today said they would buy Rite Aid if they can. They're going to create a cash and stock deal to create a company with eighty three billion dollars in revenue. Wow, that's crazy. Apparently, there was a $400 million purchase of Bitcoin yesterday. Um, and now, this is this is interesting. I have not verified this, but there's a, a chart, apparently, or a, a kind of a, a picture, a GIF put out by ECB that says, why Bitcoin is not a currency. Nobody is backing it. It's not widely accepted. Users are not protected, and it's too volatile. So that's kind of the four main arguments, obviously, against Bitcoin. And then you had this other story about Litecoin. So you got, I think the most popular ones that you look at is Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. And you've had forks that occur. And there was rumors of this hard fork in Litecoin. Now, there's you, you can look it up if you see a, an accidental fork. This is where you get into this cryptocurrency. Okay, this is getting kind of weird, um, kind of confusing, of course. But there's there's certain forks that can occur. A hard fork is generated when the cryptocurrency developers decide that changes must be made to the programming of the coin that will create incap- incompatibilities between older and newer vor- versions. So you got to realize your what you're putting your money into. Some of these things like hard forks, like uh, accidental forks. Things like that can happen in these cryptocurrencies. A hard fork is generated when the cryptocurrencies developers decide that changes must be made to the programming of the coin that would create incompatibilities between the older and newer versions. What I'm seeing out there still, now it's Facebook since they pulled ads of cryptocurrencies, um, because it seemed like, especially when crypto, when Bitcoin was up at 20000 almost every single Facebook ad and post started to be about cryptocurrencies. And I'm still seeing what I think are pump and dump screen, uh, scams, especially on Twitter now, where you get people saying how great one thing is, like a Litecoin fork or something else, and everybody else jumps on board and they put some money into that. 
and then the person that creates that 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 viral feel, they go and sell. Because what are you investing? You're not investing in a company. It's not an investment. It has no revenues. It has no earnings. Its value is there until people don't think it is. It's going to go up in value only in, as long as other people are continuing forever to put money into it. And the idea of it taking over the banking system is ridiculous. It'll change the banking system. But taking over the banking system is ridiculous. Are you going to get a Bitcoin? Are you going to go to Bitcoin and get a mortgage? Are you going to go to Litecoin and get a mortgage? No. You will, will transactions be traced by blockchain? Will blockchain change the financial industry? Absolutely. But the transaction costs because of volatility and prices are too high in these cryptocurrencies. And a lot of it has to do with online hype and foreign currencies coming out of their garbage court currency and into something else versus the US dollar. And then, of course, kind of the dark web use of it for illegal activities and things like that. So, um, know what you're, if you're putting money into this stuff, you got to realize that. Um, it is truly, truly the Wild West stuff. The, the idea that it's tulip-related is stupid. It's more internet-related, where internet created big booms and busts and then changed the world forever. But it's not... I don't call it an investment, because when I invest in something, I want to know, what does a P&L look like? What's the income statement look like? What's the revenue versus the, versus the uh, expenses, and what's the profit going to be? And this is a store value until people don't think it is anymore. So anyways, keep that in mind. Coming up today in the show, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the fiduciary rule. We're going to talk about what does that mean? How do you go get financial advice? If you have a question for the show, chat at chadburton.com. That's chat at chadburton.com. Don't forget Thursday, March 8th, Rob Black and I are going to be in Foster City, 6.30 p.m., Retirement Income Strategies and Estate Planning. So sign up quick, chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com. We'll be back. for protection, maybe flotsam jump would do just fine. The jets I'm sunk, I'm left behind. I'm treading for my life, believe me. How can I keep up this breathing? Not knowing how to think. of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Chad Burton standing in for Rob Black. You can find me at chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com. While you're there, you can sign up for the event. Rob Black and I are doing March 8th. That's Thursday, March 8th, 6.30 p.m., Foster City, Retirement Income Strategies and Estate Planning. So I show you how I create income from a portfolio in retirement, how I create safe money, create the asset allocation, how I rebalance to peel growth, and even talk about how does the new tax laws affect retirement planning. And as I've mentioned before, even in California, where there's a reduction in the amount of state and local taxes that you can deduct in your federal return, 
this is truly a tax cut for most retired people. 15% bracket became the 12. So that means you can take income from IRAs or convert money from an IRA to a Roth at a, at a lower rate and create a tax-free pool of money for yourself or for your kids or grandkids and you know create much more tax-efficient income in the future if you do things the right way right at the beginning, especially from the date of retirement to age right before age 70. So talk all about that. Sign up at... Uh, Radio 25 is the code if you're listening to the show and you want to get in for free. Radio 25. Um, Massachusetts Security Division charged Scott Trade last Thursday with violating the impartial conduct standards laid out in the Labor Department's fiduciary rule, which took effect on June 9th, 2017. The fiduciary rule. Interesting. So this is this has been a big topic in my industry is this fiduciary rule. Basically, the SEC wasn't touching it. The Department of Labor realized that, oh my gosh, there's all these people that change jobs and they have money in a 401k. And basically what this equates to is that insurance agents get these people, no matter what their age is, to roll these 401ks over into extremely high-fee Variable annuities, in most cases, is what the issue is. Very high fees, variable annuity. Now, here's the sales pitch. Hey, here's this annuity. And inside this annuity, there's some great investments called sub-accounts. They look just like mutual funds, but they're called sub-accounts. So you're invested in stocks and bonds. But hey, this variable annuity, this insurance company, says no matter what the market does, you'll get 7%. And that sounds great. Guaranteed 7% no matter what the market does. Last year, the market did 22%, but if the market's negative, I said get 7%, and people sign on the dotted line without reading anything in the prospectus. You have to realize there is no free lunch on Wall Street. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. It's too good to be true. Because what these guarantees are is it's a guarantee income of a percent of an, uh, of, uh, a certain amount at retirement. And for a younger person, it's ridiculous because the internal fees inside of these variable annuities can approach 3.5% per year. So the only time that could be really good is if you're single, no kids, and you're going to live till you're 140 years old because it's not a guarantee of principal. It is a guarantee of income for life. And the only time the insurance company is really on the hook is if the stock market performs so, so much less than it has in the past. And you run out of money when you're 85, but they still have to continue to pay you a certain percentage of an amount for as long as you live. So very rarely is an insurance company ever going to have to pay the guarantees on any of these variable annuities out there, unless we have total, you know, several decades similar to 2000, you know, the 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 one the decade including basically this last Great Recession. So. It's really those variable annuities are a lot of smoke and mirrors. 99% of them, as I've mentioned before, are horrible, especially the ones where they pay a commission to the person selling it to you of 7%. Those are the ones that have those internal fees between the sub accounts and the insurance charges of 3.5% a year. That's That could be hundreds of thousands of dollars over a person's retirement and fees. Um, so the Department of Labor said we need to put a stop to this. Australia, the UK, there's already rules like this in effect to force firms or people to become more of a fiduciary. Where they stop selling you garbage product 
like loaded variable annuities and they have to act in your best interest and basically charge you an hourly fee, a flat fee, or a fee as a percentage of assets that they manage for you. And they have to lay out your options to you and, and put in writing the difference in fees between where you're at now inside your 401k versus the IRA that they want you to roll that money into. So now you're starting to see this word fiduciary, which you know I've used since 2004 when I started uh, New Focus Financial. Now you're seeing it used as a, almost a marketing term out there. It started with Tony Robbins, and Tony Robbins calling it the F word, and other people are calling it the F word, fiduciary. And what a fiduciary is supposed to be is that if you go get financial advice, they have to basically lay out the options for you and say, this is some of your options. Here's what the costs are. Here's what the pros and the cons are. Um, and maybe even say, this is what I might do if I was you, but here, what decision make feels the best for you. They have to act in your best interest versus boy, I'm going to sell them this annuity over here from company ABC because it, company ABC has got a commission special at 10%. So I've put, a, I've put that $100,000 401k into this annuity IRA. I'll earn $10,000 and I'll be able to get my kids some braces. And that's how a lot of financial advisors work. And they shouldn't be allowed to call themselves a financial advisor. If you're an insurance agent, sell insurance and be honest about it. I've got a great insurance agent that I get my term life insurance for, my disability, my key man insurance, things like that. We all need our insurance agents, but insurance agents shouldn't be allowed to call themselves financial advisors. They should be insurance agents. If The only people that I believe that should be called financial advisors are certified financial planners that act as a fiduciary. Those are true financial advisors. So, know how the people that you work with get paid. Ask them to lay it out. They're either going to charge you an hourly fee, a flat fee, or a percentage of assets under management, typically. If you get offered a free financial plan... If somebody comes in and say, oh, yeah, we do a free financial plan for you, your antenna should be going up. That's not usually a true financial plan. It's not. Because at the end of that financial plan, it'll be a list of insurance products they want to sell you. You need this amount in life insurance, this amount in disability, and you should buy this annuity. That's your free financial plan. Anybody can run projections, but if that free financial plan leads to commission-based products, tell them to take a hike. It's not free. It's not in your best interest. A good financial plan should definitely point out what you need in insurance, but don't you want to get insurance advice from somebody that's not earning the commission? So be careful of that. So if you also go, if you go get financial advice and they talk about life insurance as an investment of tax-free income, uh, they kind of diss the use of a 401k and say that insurance is better because it can be tax-free. It's not quite right. It's not right at all. Um, if they talk to you about financial planning without talking to you about paying down debt or your other goals, they just want to get you into this product, run for the hills. It's not a financial advisor. It's a product salesman. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. If you want to get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220 or shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. Coming up, the difference between mutual funds and ETFs. We'll be back. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, 
Back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. Chad Burton standing in for Rob Black. Don't forget, March 8th, Thursday evening, 6.30 p.m., Rob Black and I will be together in Foster City Retirement Income Strategies and Estate Planning. If you are you know, within 10 years from retirement or in retirement and you want to get a check on, do you have enough for retirement? How do you create income from your portfolio? You're constantly feeding it, right? With your paycheck, your 401k, hopefully your monthly savings. Do you have enough? And then how do you start creating income from the portfolio? You don't want to make this mistake of, I'm going to invest only for income and buy a whole bunch of high dividend paying stocks, a whole bunch of aggressive bond funds, and then only to watch those things get hammered when interest rates rise. You don't want to be in that position. And you also don't want to be a position of running out of money when you're 85, when you could be living till you're over 100 years old. The advancements in healthcare and science and technology all coming together, not only is it extremely exciting in terms of investing themes, but it's going to make you live longer in retirement and make that decision of when to retire a little bit more difficult. So you got to make sure you have enough. Now, where do you put that? Some of the things that you can put it in is ETFs and mutual funds. That's the most common investment. Most 401ks have mutual funds. Some people are starting to see ETFs in their 401k. So what is the difference? Well, it's not as different as you might think. It's both mutual funds and ETFs are baskets of stocks. So you make one investment and you own often a hundred or more different stocks and different weightings. So the difference though between an ETF and a mutual fund is that a mutual fund only creates a price, calculates the price once a day, at the end of the day, after the market closes. All of the positions, the underlying positions are added up to create the price of the mutual fund. So inside the mutual fund is, a, again, you own a small percentage of typically 50 to 100 or more stocks, and it calculates the price at the end of the day. So if you want to make a buy in the morning, you get the price at the end of the day. If you sell in the morning, you get the price at the end of the day. An ETF or an exchange-traded fund is also a basket of stocks. It's celebrating the 25th anniversary of SPY, S-P-Y, which is basically an ETF that tracks the S&P 500. So it is a basket of 500 different stocks. Now, it's not equally weighted, so the bigger companies get the majority of the weight in the S&P 500, but it's still a basket of stocks. The difference between an ETF and a mutual fund, an ETF trades all day long on the stock market, just like a stock. So you can buy and sell at basically the current prices you're seeing on your screen. So a lot of people like that. The advantage of an ETF is the ability to trade all day long. So let's say you see a big flash crash type of a situation and you say, hey, I wanna put a couple thousand dollars to work you can try to buy at that current price that you're seeing at that dip. Because we've seen days where the market opens down you know, 2 3% and then goes positive by the end of the day. So traders like that, the ability to get in a basket of stocks at the current price that they're seeing versus hoping that the price stays low by the end of the day in a mutual fund. Now, does that really make a difference to most people? Not at all. That's not something that somebody that's investing for 20, 30, 40 years needs to worry about is the price that they get that day. 
That is not something that most people really need to worry about. So even though that's an advantage of an ETF, that's not going to make you rich. Being invested in the stock market and building your financial base, that's what eventually makes you rich over time, not being able to trade all day long in an ETF. But the other advantages of an ETF is that, okay, let's say you're a trader and you trade options. You can trade options on an ETF. You can put stop losses on an ETF, which is one nice thing. So what a stop loss is, let's say you have a basket of stocks in an ETF and it's trading. Let's say you have a financial ETF that owns a basket of stock of uh, bank stocks. And all of a sudden you feel like you're a little bit overweight in banking stocks. You bought it a couple of years ago, they've all rallied and you think they could continue to do well, but you know, you need to kind of peel some gains. So in other words, and you just don't want to sell yet. You want some protection. So you can put in a stop loss where if it hits a certain price, it puts the shares of that ETF up for sale, just like a stop loss on a stock. The problem is with stop losses, they can really burn you, especially in very volatile days like we've seen. Because if you just put on a basic stop loss, if you have a stock trading at or an ETF trading at a hundred bucks and you say, I'm not willing to let more than five bucks go here. So I'm going to put a stop loss on at $95. As soon as that ETF or stock would hit $95, it would put it up for sale. But if the next buyer isn't willing to buy that until $85, guess what? Your trade's going in at $85. And you sit there and you look, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have sold at $85. I would have actually bought more at $85. Well, too bad. You put a stop loss in. The next buyer was willing to buy it at $85. You're out of luck. And that's how a lot of stop losses burn people more than they help people in many cases. Now, you could put a stop with a limit order on it. Because I want to put a stop loss in at 95 but I'm not willing to sell unless I can get better than $92. That's a much better way to do it. Because, I, again, I think stop losses, people look back a year or two, and they regret stop losses more than anything else versus just going ahead and selling and putting it into something that you like better. Um, the other advantage of an ETF is they're basically more tax efficient than a mutual fund. So if you have... A ETF that its main goal is to invest in mid-cap stocks, kind of those, those, those middle America, not quite a large cap company, but not just a smaller starting out company, mid-sized company. So you have a mid-cap ETF and a mid-cap mutual fund. Well, in a mutual fund, you can buy other people's capital gains. So this only has to do, you only have to do worry about this when you're investing non-retirement assets. So not in an IRA, not in a Roth, not in a 401k. This is the only time it makes a difference if you're just opening a normal taxable brokerage account after tax dollars and you're investing it. Um, in a mutual fund, if they've got a bunch of stocks in that mutual fund that they've had for quite a while and they have huge gains, you could buy into the mutual fund today. And next week, they could decide to sell some of those stocks and even though you have had a flat to a negative return in the last week, because they sold stocks that they've owned for years, you can end up owing capital gains taxes on those stocks that they've sold in a mutual fund. The way that ETFs are created, I can't, it's I'm not going to get into it on the, the show, but they can avoid that a lot easier in an ETF with the structure on how those baskets of stocks are created than they can in a mutual fund. That's typically on the managed side. 
Um, so on, on more managed, actively managed funds. So you do have to worry about tax efficiency after the market's gone up for a long period of time, like in 1999, like right now. So when is a mutual fund better than an ETF? A lot of times it's easier. If you've got a person that I need to start investing, I need to open up a Roth IRA and I need to start funding it with at least $200 a month, let's say. It's often a lot easier to go directly to a no-load fund company like T. Rowe Price, Vanguard, whatever, and open up that mutual fund and have a monthly withdrawal out of your checking account directly into that mutual fund. Now, can you do that in a brokerage account when you buy an ETF? To, to go buy an ETF, you have to go to a, uh, a custodian like TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, or Schwab. And then you have to open an account, and then you have to fund the account, and then go and trade the ETF. Okay, so there's several steps to do that versus going directly to a Vanguard or T. Rowe Price, calling them and saying, I want to put 200 bucks a month into a certain fund. It's, it's, it's fewer steps. Now, can you do monthly contributions to an ETF at a brokerage account? Yeah. You could go, again, open an account at TD Ameritrade, look at all their commission-free ETFs, put some cash in your account, buy that ETF, and then you can either go online and call them and set them a systematic purchase, where money goes from your checking account into the brokerage account, and inside the brokerage account, they're systematically purchasing an ETF for you, exchange-traded fund, a basket of stocks. There's several more steps involved in that without a heck of a lot of advantages for small dollars. Now, there's ETFs are changing. There's a lot of actively managed ETFs out there. There's now ETFs of ETFs. For example, iShares growth, uh, Core Growth Allocation ETF. Um, what that one is, is you buy one ETF, and it's got about nine different ETFs inside of it to create a balanced portfolio. So it's essentially rebalancing itself between large cap, small cap, international, emerging markets, bonds, everything all in one ETF. So ETFs are becoming more like actively managed funds. Who knows? The mutual fund, the idea of how a mutual fund is created may go away over time and ETFs just might take over. Right now, ETFs are mostly known as index funds, but now they're becoming more and more actively managed. You have smart beta ETFs, where really it's kind of rules-based investing, where you go, okay, I'm going to buy the top uh, stocks in the S&P 500 of companies that raise their dividend by 10% a year. Or the Dogs of the Dow ETF, where every year I'm going to look at the, the Dow Jones 30 stocks, and that ETF is going to buy the highest yielding ones, the, the, the top 10 or 20 highest yielding stocks in the Dow. Um, Oppenheimer has revenue-based ETFs, where they'll look at the an index, and they'll buy the the ones with the highest revenue, for example. So there's all sorts of different versions of this. What you want to stay away from is these crazy inverse ETFs that do leveraging either up or down, because you could end up in something like the Velocity Shares Daily Inverse VIX ETF, symbol XIV. That's the one that blew up and helped cause this big correction that we had over a week. It's down 94% for the year because traders kind of got in love with the idea of it and it blew up on them. So you got to be careful. Keep it simple when it comes to investing. Take a quick break. We'll be right back.
I don't care for your careless Me first, give me, give me appetite at all Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW Welcome back into the show I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner Chad Burton standing in for Rob Black I just posted a link um, to a Morningstar.com article on ABLE accounts. I'll talk about that in a minute. First thing I want to talk about, though, is I log into Facebook and then I go to the company page to be able to to post this. Is what is the phenomenal? What is the deal with these attempted motivational speeches by people in their car? on Instagram and Facebook. I don't get that. Is there a lot of people that all of a sudden get into their car and they're like, I have this inspiring message I must give and I'm, I'm going to put my phone there and I'm going to record a, a speech while I'm sitting in my car with my seatbelt on. I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, don't these people know that Facebook is only for posting pictures of your children and your food? I don't know. We, we, need, we just need some education in this world. I'm just joking mostly anyways, but it's a a struggle for content today, I guess. Now, actually, what I wanted to talk about today was very important. The article that I posted was on ABLE accounts. ABLE accounts, these are interesting because they're kind of formed after 529 plans, but the point for ABLE accounts is to be able to allow people with disabilities that started before the age of 26 to build up some savings but not be disqualified for state assistance. And, and that's great. Now, let me go back, first of all, and say, all the time we deal with situations where people want to leave money to a family member or a friend. They say, you know, I want to leave $10,000 to so-and-so because they have a disability. They've had trouble, you know, uh, earning a living because of this disability. So I'm going to leave them money. So in their will, they put, uh, you know, here's $10,000, not knowing that if you give money the wrong way in that situation, it can disqualify somebody from receiving those benefits. And you can actually harm them by leaving them a lump sum. That's not going to last them their entire life. So these able accounts are just, they're really slowly catching on. I, I almost forget about them in some senses because they're, they're so new. There's only about 20 states that have them. I don't think California has one yet, but you can open up one in another state where you can have up to $100,000 invested in these able accounts. And it's just like a 529 plan. They're invested in mutual funds and they grow tax-free. And the withdrawals are tax-free as well. And a person can have up to $100,000 in these things without affecting the state assistance that they may receive. So this, this is a good thing, and hopefully this thing expands. So you have to be careful on this when it comes to estate planning and benefiting somebody that's disabled. Now, if somebody's disabled and you want to benefit them with an, a, a large gift that gives them more than enough money to get through their lifetime, then fine, do that. But if it's a smaller gift and you want to do it the right way, you might need to do what's called a special needs trust, where the money is left into a trust and the trust can give them money out of the trust without endangering their other assistance that they might receive. So it has to be coordinated. And, you know, it's kind of tough to just leave a small amount in a special needs trust because that can kind of get expensive for administration, an extra tax return, and somebody managing that. 
So these ABLE accounts are, are that solution. They're the solution for leaving a relative, a loved one, a godchild, whatever it may be, some cash, but not mess up their state assistance. So go click on that area. If this is a situation in your family, friends, something else you want to deal with, you want to share it with them, go to the New Focus Financial Group Facebook page and uh, click on the link, and you can read about the ABLE accounts. Because, again, they're, they're kind of developed like 529 plans. And 529 plans, that's a way that you can put money in for a young child into mutual funds. Uh, and as long as the money is taken out for education, all of the growth is completely tax-free, much like a Roth IRA. And now, as a result of the 2017 tax cut, the 529 plans can be used for not just college anymore. It's not just college tuition, books, room, and board. It's primary education. So if you've got a kid going to a private high school and you need to start funding that, you can use the 529 plan to do it. 529 plans, you also have to be careful with 529 plans, just like with ABLE accounts. If you are sitting there in a situation where your kid, if you do nothing, can get some financial aid, and all of a sudden the child's 15 and you start putting money into a 529 plan, and it messes up some of the ability to get financial aid in the first year, you're not doing them a favor, are you? Because you haven't done your overall financial planning. And also, those 529 plans, you need well over five years for growth to occur. So 529 plans are really right for kids that are, you know, under, really under 10, 10 or under, let's say. After that, you might be a little bit too late. Maybe instead you start aggressively paying down your home equity line of credit or doing something else besides funding the 529 plan. That's why you want to get good, unbiased financial advice. And 529 plans, you don't need somebody selling you a loaded version of a 529 plan. California plan is just fine. Vanguard's plan in Utah, Nevada, great plans. Alaska T. Rowe Price, great plan. A lot of really, really good ones that are out there. Those are no-load products. You pick an allocation that's based on the kid's age, and it starts off aggressive, and it becomes more conservative over time. You can only make one investment change a year. So, you know, take some time to learn to do it on yourself. And you can use things like youpromise.com. That's the letter youpromise.com. Sign up your debit and credit cards and kind of get some free money towards some 529 plans that are out there. A lot of good options out there to do that. But again, going back to the very beginning, when it comes to your estate plan, if you have a person that you love or care about and you want to leave some money and they're disabled in some way, shape, or form, or maybe, then take a look at these ABLE accounts. If you want to find out more about me, just go to chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, iTunes for the podcast, all the links there at the top of the page. Have a great day, everyone. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.